Oh my gosh, be mindful all the time, all the time. If you live in the future, you're going to have anxiety. If you live in the past, you're going to be depressed. Recognize when you're losing the moment. Always, always be, if you're going to be on your toes about anything, recognize when you're not thinking about the here and now and breathe, 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 breathe. That was Jessica Barone, and this is The Recovery Revolution. It's time for The Recovery Revolution Podcast, and it is unlike any recovery podcast you will ever experience. This is next-level recovery transformation featuring the most influential minds in addiction, recovery, sobriety, mindset, and entrepreneurship. This podcast will revolutionize the way you look, feel, and talk about recovery. This is The Recovery Revolution. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Recovery Revolution And this week, we have Jessica Barone joining us on the show. She is absolutely adorable. She is light. She's funny. She's amazing. And her story is breathtaking. It is a miracle that she is alive today. She is a mother. She is a wife. She is an advocate for recovery. And she is all in. We had an amazing conversation that I can't wait for you guys to listen to. So let's just get started. Let's dive into Jessica's story, but first, a quick message from our sponsors. We are all addicted to something. Money, success, food, drugs, alcohol, and even our problems. These addictions hold us back and prevent us from living a life of happiness, fulfillment, and joy. My name's Omar Pinto, and I'm a life transformation coach, addiction recovery specialist, and lifestyle entrepreneur. I help people all over the world transform their lives every single day. So if you want to find out what's holding you back from living a life of fulfillment, success, and happiness, go to www.omarpinto.com and schedule a free consultation with me today. It's time to transform your life. High above the hilltops of one of the most beautiful places on earth, overlooking the Pacific Ocean as far as the eye can see, and surrounded by thousands of acres of tropical rainforest, hills, and valleys, you will find the luxurious five-star resort Casa Chameleon in the world's most epic vacation destination, Costa Rica. In one of the most breathtaking settings in the world, Two renowned coaches, The Recovery Revolution's Omar Pinto and Mic Drop Studio Productions' Rosh Lowe will be taking you on a four-day total immersion coaching experience. Join us September 12th, 2019 to Monday, September 16th in this all-inclusive resort setting that will allow you to break free from your past, build emotional resilience, learn to tell your story, transform limiting beliefs, commune with nature, meditate, do yoga, all in a luxurious five-star setting that will absolutely blow your mind. 
To get your tickets to this event, go to omarpinto.com forward slash Costa Rica 2019 and get ready for the life transformation event of your life. Today's episode is brought to you by the RRC, the Recovery Revolution Community. The RRC is our private recovery membership group that features online meetings, online support, accountability, peer-to-peer recovery support and coaching. The Recovery Revolution is more than just a podcast. It is a support network helping thousands of people all over the world. So for more information about the Recovery Revolution podcast or how you can join the RRC, then go to omarpinto.com and get plugged into the Recovery Revolution today. And if you haven't done so already, be sure to leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It's the best way to show your support for the podcast. And speaking of amazing reviews, this next one is from Thomas Gill, Best Substitute for Meetings. The review is, a great podcast, oh, I get heaps of value from listening to the inspirational stories as I don't always have time to get to meetings. HP baby. Thomas, thank you so much for the amazing review. It's one of the main reasons why I started the podcast four and a half years ago is for this exact reason. It's the best way to get to a meeting when you just can't get to a meeting. Love you, brother, and HP, baby. Hi, Jessica. Thanks for joining us. Hey, O. Thanks for having me. I am very excited to have you on the show today. How are you feeling? Well, you know, my go-to answer is fine or good. almost seems natural to say that, but really trying to be more honest and mindful and in touch with my feelings, so I am going to go with nervous. Um, (laughs) There's just so much, like, also I'm a little starstruck right now. I have to be honest. I've been listening to you since, like, day one of my sobriety, so the fact that this is happening, like, it's it's overwhelming, but, you know, in a good way, so that's how I'm feeling. (laughs) Well, that makes me feel pretty darn good. (laughs) Well, yeah. And happy 16th yesterday. Yes, thank you, thank you. As a matter of fact, you have an anniversary yourself, don't you? Today, one year. There we go. One behind me. (laughs) So that's very exciting. So, folks, this is why I invited Jessica to be on the show. She reached out to me on Private Messenger. Um, and we started chatting and then it turned out that she was coming up on an anniversary date. And I thought, you know, what a great opportunity to have Jessica on the show. Um, she's about to sell it. She's celebrating one year today. So we, we set up the interview so we could do it on, on today. She actually posted. That's what it was. Now I remember you posted in the big group asking, you know, how do you guys celebrate or acknowledge your anniversary? Right. right. Or what's the what's the right way to do it or something like that? Yeah, I was like, what should I do, guys? You know, it's my one year anniversary. And like everyone was like, go do service. Like you need to go spread the message. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Other than that, like, should I get a pedicure? <laughs> like, What should I do for myself? So, yeah, that's kind of like how that started. So, yeah, this is perfect. It's my one year. It's the day after your 16 year. It's also Memorial Day. I'm a military spouse. So. What did I say? What are the odds? hundred percent. Yeah. Because it happened. <laughs> totally. It just it just kind of worked out, and so here we are. Um, yeah. So, are you currently pregnant? 
No, no, I'm done. I have four children. Okay, all right. On your profile picture, you've got... You, a belly. Yeah. Yeah, that was reminiscing. I was reminiscing on Mother's Day, but I'm done. Ah, okay. <laughs> all right, all right. Okay, just checking, just checking. Okay, yeah. All right, so you... I'm sorry, so how many kids? Four. Four children. Incredible. Okay. How old are you? I'm 32. Man, I got to tell you, I'm staring at you right now, and I could have swore you're 22. <laughs> I feel like I have four kids. <laughs> I don't know anyone who's got four children that doesn't know they have four children. Right, right. That's Yeah, I feel that. I feel that everywhere. <laughs> so what are their ages? So they are 10, 9, 7, and 6. That's so nice. like real quick, done, over. They're all close together, so yeah. they're friends. They hang out. They don't even need me anymore. They just kind of hang out and do their own thing, really. <laughs> Were these planned? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> That's impressive. Oh. Well, see, we had three girls, and we were really trying for a boy. So that fourth ultrasound was like, you know, white knuckle, like crossing our fingers. We had our boy, so we were done. But if it was a girl, like we were seriously considering like having science intervene to like make sure it happened on the next one. Cause, and I have a thing with even numbers. So if we had five, we'd have to have six, but yeah, four and we're done. Wow. You make it sound so effortless. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. Wow. That's incredible. So give me the, you know, I'm curious now. Okay. So the boy, it had to happen. For what reason? Um, expectations, which is kind of part of my story, to be honest with you. Yeah, okay. I mean, you know, every mother, I think, kind of wants a boy, too. Okay. So it would be nice. But we we were set on that. Like, we would really love to have a boy in our family, you know? Got it. Okay, well, you got him. Yeah. Thank you God, because now I can stop having kids. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, congratulations there. All Thank right, you. So, so folks, before we go on any further, uh, let's introduce Jessica. So today we have Jessica Ann Barone joining us on the show, um, and she had sent me this, I think, five-page essay, right? And she's like, hey, you might want to take a look at this, and I was like, not much chance I'm going to be reading through it. But It was I did, a short read. It was a short read, and actually it was, you know, like double-spaced or something. Like, it was very... Like I, I could tell that once I opened it up, I'm like, this probably wouldn't take too long to read, and it's easy to read. Um, I got as far as the first paragraph just so I could introduce her, and it's got a great intro piece. So it says, what happens when you expect something, anything? From personal experience, I can tell you what happens. You make an assumption, and your perspective becomes closed. There's no other option and what is supposed to be. Sometimes the expectation will actually play out more often than not. It doesn't. And when the assured dream has failed, the focus is now on the shortcoming and the failure itself. This is negative thinking. Negative thinking gives way to depression and eventually the loss of hope. My hope was once lost, and in turn, I was lost in hopelessness in the form of alcoholism. Did I get that right, Jess? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I felt like as I was reading through it, I was like, "Am I missing something here?" That's what. No. See, that's why I don't read, right? Because I'll. Well, I've never reading. had it read to me. All right. Did it make sense? 
It did. It sounds okay. different, actually, coming from somebody else. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So what I liked about it was the detail on identifying the negative thinking. Because yeah. a lot of where I coach from is that idea of recognizing the negative thinking, the stories that we tell ourselves based on any sort of traumatic event. And trauma can come from any place. It doesn't necessarily have to be what most people would consider to be trauma, um, like molestation or rape or a huge humongous car accident or or overdosing on heroin, right? When you think about these traumatic situations, it could be something as, you know, your ballet instructor tells you, you know, um, yeah, you're not, if you keep eating the way you're eating, you're not going to fit into your, you know, ballet outfit, okay? Um, Are you watching what you're eating? So immediately, what is the story that I tell myself around that, around what has been said? I create a story that says, oh my God, I'm not good enough. Oh my God, I'm fat. Oh my God, I need to do something. There's something wrong with me. And that's trauma. Because if anything that prevents you from accepting yourself as you are, and you start to seek things outside of yourself to soothe yourself from these negative thinking, negative emotions, like what you were talking about here, it leads to depression and loss of hope. And that is so true. These negative emotions start to spiral. So I'd love to know, because I, I didn't get a chance to, to read the paper. Well, it's not an audio book, so... <laughs> right, right. If it would have been an audio book, it would have been a done deal. Right, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about it, and, so, and, and tell our audience a little bit about what you discovered, what you learned about negative thinking. So for me, this is all hindsight, and something I continue um, after I've learned. So um, I am a military spouse. Um, My husband was in the Marine Corps for 10 years, something like that. Um, It's constantly changing lifestyle, you know, and throw four kids in the mix. We've moved 13 times in 12 years, something like that. So there's, there's always something to look forward to. So anytime there was, you know, a deployment or something, you know, something we'd struggle with in that lifestyle, there was always that next milestone, like, oh, well, when you come home, things will be better. Or when we move to the next place, you know, things will be better. And what I realized is I was never living in the moment ever. I mean, kind of for like the small things, but the big picture stuff In hindsight, I was looking to the very end when he got out of the military. Then all of those struggles would go away. I wouldn't have to endure his deployments to Afghanistan, to Iraq. You know, he'd be around. We'd be more stable. My kids wouldn't have to switch schools. I could have the same friends. I'd be home with family. I gave birth to our third daughter by myself. I mean, my mom came to watch the kids, but... So I, I kind of look to that, and once you get out of the Marine Corps, things will be fine because we won't have all of that other stuff. Um, but what I didn't realize was if I'm always looking at the light at the end of the tunnel, that means I'm constantly living in that tunnel's darkness, like forever on a trek to that light. 
you know, whatever that light may look like. I don't know what it's going to look like when I get there. You don't really know. You're in a tunnel. All you see is light. What's on the other side? I have no idea. More often than not, it's just another tunnel. So what I learned is to constantly live at the end of the tunnel, constantly be in that light, whatever it may look like. You know, it reminds me of a saying. I think it goes something like, sacrificing the happiness today for the promise of a better tomorrow. Right. Something like that, where my life is constantly on hold. It's, and it's also a limiting belief where it's, I will be happy when. I'll be happy mm-hmm. when my husband gets home. And then once he gets home, I'll be happy once he assimilates back to normalcy. You know, I'll be happy once things go back to normal. So there's always this ongoing waiting to feel happiness, fulfillment, peace. Um, it's always coming. So there's always this sense of uncertainty and instability, right? Right. But when I put a cap on that and I put a vision on that, when we got to the end of the tunnel and when he did get out of the Marine Corps and we moved to civilian life, it looked nothing like that mm-hmm. because he gets back. We try to get back to that homeostasis, right? Mm-hmm. Or, which, you know, we tried to live every time he was, you know, in and out of the home. Mm-hmm. But he had been gone for so long that he didn't really know how to reintegrate himself back into the family. Mm-hmm. And I had been doing it on my own for so long that I didn't know what I wanted him to do, really. You know, I'm like, like, oh, maybe you should do this. No, but don't do it that way because I had a system. I was a stay-at-home mom. I did. <laughs> I was a stay-at-home mom. And I, I do. I do. I do. So, but like, I, I did it well. Like I was like the Martha Stewart. Mm-hmm. I worked childcare before I had kids. So I ran this, like basically a daycare in my house. Like mm-hmm. we had art projects and my kids could all read before kindergarten. The house was spotless. Like I really prided myself in this job. <clears throat> Just didn't get a paycheck, but mm-hmm. I did it well. So I was priding myself in being able to do it and being able to be strong. But once he got back, we couldn't, we couldn't make it work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Not to mention, you know, him trying to find a civilian job. That was certainly a struggle. I recommend anyone who's in the military now. I know, you know, we pride ourselves on being strong and tough because, We have to be, you know, if, if I was weak, then my house would fall apart and my kids would fall apart. If he were weak, you know, at war, people would die or people would be in danger. So I recommend anyone who is getting out of the military, no matter how much you have a plan or think you have it together, talk to someone and use those resources that are available to you to transition back into the civilian life, because we ended up struggling. He, um, He ended up not being able to find a job right away. So now all the bills we used to be able to pay, we couldn't pay anymore. Um, We couldn't move where we wanted to move. So that was the light at the end of my tunnel, completely different, you know, and I, I fell apart. Like I didn't know what to do with that because I had, I had this vision of how it was supposed to be. And when that didn't happen, I didn't know what to do. So all those years of being the rock and being strong just completely crumbled. And I found alcohol and I found drugs and it slowly happened. But And I had drank in the past, but this was different. Something clicked in my brain one night and it wasn't the same anymore. It was an escape. 
Right. And I fell a victim. And once it got a hold of my brain and, you know, started changing the chemistry, like that was it. I, I was, I think at least that I was someone that you wouldn't think had a problem with drugs and alcohol because everyone's always like, Oh, wow. I can't believe, how do you do it with four kids? Oh, you lived in Japan. Oh, you lived here. Like you're so strong. You're amazing. But inside I didn't feel that anymore. So I didn't think I, it would, it could happen to me. You know, I had this white picket fence, American dream, you know, going on for myself. Um, so when it happened, like I really tried to hide that. I tried to continue to be that strong person and not reach out and, you know, lie to myself. Um, now question. Yeah. yeah. Did you have, for example, this is assuming you had resources because for the longest time, and there's a period of time, how long was he in the military? 10, 11 years. Okay, so he's in there for 10 years. How long were you guys married uh, while he was in the military? The whole time. Okay. So we got married and then he joined the Marine Corps. Okay. Okay. And I got married at 19, so that's why no I'm so young with all okay. these kids. There you go. It's starting all the pieces are all starting to fall into place. Okay. Okay. So now you got you're 19 years old when you get married. How old mm -hmm. is he? 24. Okay, 24 years old and boom, he joins the Marines and you become adults. Uh, <laughs> right, adults fast, but yeah. you become the wife, you know, a military wife. Right. All right. And so for 10 years, you have this vision, which at the end of the, at the end of that vision was an unrealistic expectation. Mm -hmm. And so you get to the end of this, at, at the end of this journey, where all of a sudden it's happening. He's leaving the military. All my dreams are going to come true now. Everything we've sacrificed is all going to make sense. Um, mm -hmm. And quickly you realize that you have no idea everything that you thought was was going to happen none of it was happening and so you're not sure what to do with all this so what was your first step did you have anyone any place to go to or did you immediately start to escape into the alcohol we are blessed to be supported by family okay. that love us and our kids but I didn't want them to know. Mm. I really didn't like, cause I always had it all together mm -hmm. and no one had to worry about me. So I kept sweeping it under the rug and hiding it until I couldn't hide it anymore. And, you know, every time my husband would get angry at me for coming in late again, or, you know, living that double life that was starting to creep into each other mm -hmm. and not be so double anymore. Mm -hmm. I would snap back at him like, well, if you would just act like it wasn't a big deal, then everyone else around us would think it's okay. So I still thought I was hiding it at this point, but come mm -hmm. to find out people weren't worried because my husband was worried. People were worried because they were worried because I couldn't hide it anymore. And people really started to see that I wasn't as strong as I used to be. But the problem was I hid it. So by the time they kind of started finding out, I was, I was pretty bad. I was pretty deep in the hole. So one of the first problems here is being concerned with what other people think. Mm, absolutely. 
So I've got this perfect life completely under control mm-hmm. and things are unraveling. And so I'm terrified to go and ask for help because I'm concerned about how other people will see me. Yeah. And I can do this myself. And I can because do this I've, myself. Because if I've overcome all these things in the past, I can do this. Okay. So take us through that journey. Take us through the drinking. And so what happened? How many years did this go on? What was the final rock bottom moment? You know, how did this all unravel for you? Okay. So, I mean, short of like experimenting when I was little, um, when we became adults, Mm -hmm. and I say that in quotations. Um, So now we're newlyweds and my husband is in the Marine Corps and we go to our first Marine Corps birthday ball, which happens every year. And it's a big to do. The first one we went to was at, um, let's see, the Air and Space Museum in Pensacola, Florida. So you walk in there, it's like this huge hangar with spaceships and jets and all these guys in uniform. And like, I'm just thrown into like, the den like I see all these uniforms with ribbons and things and I have no idea what any of it means but I'm 19 and I have alcohol there and they're not asking me any questions so I'm like wow I'm you know feeling so grown up and patriotic and this is like I don't get this in my small town this is amazing so I started having a couple drinks now it certainly wasn't a problem at this point this was just like experimenting and fun but what alcohol did for me then was totally play on like the dumb blonde joke. Like, I don't think I'm a dumb person nor a dumb blonde, but when I have a few drinks in me and I start getting tipsy, like I can see why people would think that mm. I remember um, my husband's friend, you know, we were talking and I go, well, who are the guys wearing that uniform? Oh, those are the colonels. Well, who are the guys wearing, you know, those uniforms? Oh, those are the so-and-so. I go, okay, well, who are the guys in the tuxedos? And without skipping a beat, my husband's friend goes, oh, those are the astronauts. Now, if I hadn't have had a few drinks in me, I would have asked a few more questions. But since I did, all I'm thinking of is, oh, my God, I'm about to meet an astronaut. So I was so excited. Before he could say just kidding, I go running over to this old guy and his wife thinking he's an astronaut. And I'm like, it's so nice to meet you. What's it like to go in space? Like, can I have your autograph? And his his wife looks at me and goes, oh, honey, he's not an astronaut. Like, just completely embarrassed myself, like, the entire time. Oh, my God. At this event. So this was before kids, too. So we, we have some kids. Awesome, beautiful, gorgeous children. I had my third one by myself. Um, we finally got our boy. Um, then we moved to Okinawa, Japan, and this is like 13 hours in the future compared to all of our family and friends. So kind of hard to speak with, with people who are in a time difference. Yeah, totally. It's really, it's really hard to match Mm -hmm. up and it's also hard to match up your drinking with other people that drink. It's either I'm still drunk and you're just getting up or, So I really tried to make that work, but it didn't. But I remember there was one night in Japan and my husband was gone again. And I put the kids to bed. It was that rock all day. When they went to bed, I would crumble to sand. The rock would like be no more. It would turn to mud. So I'm drinking. And for whatever reason, I think I was just tired of being lonely. 
I was so alone. And I ended up drunk dialing like, gosh, this was like when Facebook Messenger just came out and we were always looking for any freeways to call like back to the States. So I'm calling like everyone on my friends list, like people I hadn't talked to in like 10 years, just like, hey, what's going on? Like it was normal. Most of them didn't even know what kind of phone call it was. They're like, who's calling me? Oh, it must be one of her kids. What's Facebook Messenger? Like I, I stayed up till probably like 4 a.m. Just I couldn't even tell you. I woke up the next day. Now I've had hangovers in the past, but this was the night that I attribute to the start of my downfall because something, whether it be biologically clicked in my brain and you know the chemicals or something changed in my heart, but drinking was never the same for me after that. It just never was. That was that was my escape night. Just not just a hangover the next day, but like full on regret, like deep feeling in my soul that something was wrong. And it was all the issues that I hadn't been able to address or at least thought I hadn't been able to. And it was all just kind of just that hopeless feeling that I think all of us have felt before. Yeah, for sure. Um, so but it wasn't like I was drinking every night after that, but that night changed alcohol for me forever. Um, so he gets out of the Marine Corps. It's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. I mean, financial troubles, that's one of the huge, you know, struggles for people, especially right, people in addiction, like mm -hmm. finances. That's such a big one. Um, didn't seem like we had any solutions. Um, so I was forced to get a job. By force, I mean, like, I didn't mind, but this was, like, our option. Like, I had to start being the breadwinner. So I got a job as a bartender. It's a great idea, right? Genius. Genius. It's a genius idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was fast money, and it really helped out at the time. But that it, it was, like, one of those hole-in-the-wall bars where, like, kind of anything goes. You totally. know what I mean? Everyone, yeah. everyone knows your name. Um, but my drinking really took off there. That's of when just, like, full-on addiction um, and then cocaine was around. Now that drinking set aside, like that is what kept me drinking. That is what made me completely escape. That is what kept me out all hours of the night. That is the cause of my double life, not being double anymore. That took me over the edge. Cocaine was the death of me. Absolutely. And looking back, I'm like, what did I like so much about that other than like the physical feeling? And I honestly think it gave me the ability to talk, mm. to talk. And I swear, you know, the people that I would sit in a circle with for hours, it was like a group counseling session without a professional, right. without God and without everything that a real group, you know, session needs. But I would sit there and I would say all the things that I thought I needed to say, but couldn't say it sober. So that that was just my downfall, 100% completely. I'm happy to say that these days I'm able to talk about those things openly and freely and from my heart without the use of cocaine. But that that became a couple times a week. And with four children and a house and a family that really is trying to get themselves back on their feet again, like that's not a good mix. So there was one night 
the birds were chirping again. I was feeling depressed again. I was dreading the phone call from my husband. Where are you? I was dreading another explanation, another fight, another walk of shame to go back home and brush it off and try to start all over again, have more empty promises. And Omar, I heard God. Mm-hmm. I heard God that night. I had I was sitting in a motel room trying to hide. I had my car keys, some chapstick. I lost my phone at the bar, so I had no way of calling anyone. And I had three options. I could go find more drugs. I could go home and do what I had been doing for the past year, two years. Or I could go to Mountainside Treatment Center Rehab. And that, it was clear as day. It was God. All I heard in the back of my head was, go to Mountainside. And it was that angel devil on my shoulder. The devil was telling me to get more drugs. I was telling myself to go home and do what you always do. God said, go to Mountainside. And I was having this, and I'm a Libra too. So I'm constantly like caught in the middle of things. But, you know, it's the end of the year. Like the kids have um, graduations and there's a parade and there's a concerts and field trips. Like I swear the end of the school year for kids is more busy than Christmas time. Like there is so much going on. Like, I'm like, I can't, I can't go to rehab right now. Like I don't even have my phone. I can't just go, go to rehab. But, but God's like, did I stutter? Like go to rehab? Like I had no plan. So I get in my car and I'm just trying to go off a of memory. I don't even know exactly where I'm going, but I, I drive straight to this treatment center and it's gated. So I ring the doorbell and it's like eight o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. Okay. Like I should, you know, not be doing this. Well, I shouldn't be doing this, but uh. this is not where I should be in my life right now. I ring the bell and I'm like, hi, my name is Jessica and I really need some help. They talk with me a little bit and they're like, okay, well, this isn't how we do things. You're supposed to do a phone interview. Then we accept you and then you can come in. I'm like, well, I don't have my phone. Okay, we'll go to the gas station down the road and call us from there. Okay, I'm going to, like, I've already committed. Like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get into this place, right? Meanwhile, no one knows what I'm doing. Only me and God know what I'm doing at this point. So I go to the gas station. I ask to borrow their phone, probably looking all strung out and scared and dirty. I'm still in the clothes, my clothes from, like, 12 hours ago. And... I use their phone and they're asking me questions like, well, how much cocaine do you do in a week? And how much? I'm like, I'm at a gas station. Like maybe yes or no questions would be best. Um, So I answer all the questions and they're like, well, are you intoxicated right now? Probably. I don't know. I'm like, I just need help. Please help me. They send someone to pick me up. They actually had to call somebody in because this is 8 a.m. on a Sunday. Yeah, of course. I have thanked this woman. <laughs> I have thanked all of them like a thousand times. She gets out of bed, picks me up. They bring me in. But the me in my head, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what God told me to do. But me, I'm still like, is this the right thing to do? Is this the right thing to do? I asked every single staff member there that were um, checking me in, 
that were, you know, evaluating me and everyone that I met, I told them my story real quick. And I was like, I should be here, right? I should be here. Every single one of them and every single one of them said, oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> right decision. And they're all telling me how brave I am and don't worry about your husband. Like, don't worry about anything. Like you need to be here. And that was all I needed to hear for the first time since that downward spiral that night where I was drunk dialing everyone, I felt understood. I felt supported and I felt like I was going to be okay. Wow. What's that? What was that? Was that last part? I don't remember. What did I say? We can listen back. No, we can't. Cause I was like, yeah, yeah. Then I, Oh, I felt understood and like I was going to be okay. Maybe it was that. Got that. Got that. Um, that's, it's an incredible story. Incredible story. One year ago, exactly one year ago. That's what I was doing. Well, that sounds very similar to what I was doing 16 years ago. You know, that same, I found God moment. Yes. And there was, and incredibly enough, or I guess I could say gratefully enough, I don't remember there being any other voices. Not I, even your own? I only remember God's voice. And I just didn't think. I just did. You know? Well, so. his was the loud, loudest, but I was, I was trying to fight it. Maybe, I was trying to fight it. There might have been. I mean, it was 16 years ago, right? right. I mean, it was a long right. time ago, and I was in a bad, bad place. Very, very bad, bad place. Very similar to yours, where, you know, I was up all night and... You know, by the time I was able to go to sleep and crash out, I don't remember anything else. Just waking up the next morning and having in you know that moment of clarity, that 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 God moment. And at the time, I didn't really recognize it as a God moment. I just knew that that's the first thing that came to my mind was to go get help, and mm-hmm. not to not to call anybody, not to question it, not to ask permission, nothing. Yeah. Nothing. It was just like, go. Like, you need to do this now because you need to do this now. There's no other way. There's you need no to other go way. Right now. I've, ex- we, th- this has been one of those topics of conversation when it comes to the fleeting moment. When somebody talks mm. about there's that fleeting moment where you, where you're compelled to take action. And really, if you wait 15 minutes, it could pass. All right? When you feel that feeling, you have to run with it. It can't be, oh, my God, I've got to go get help well, tomorrow. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. I have yeah. felt that yeah. every other time. Mm-hmm. 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 I knew it was going to happen again. I knew I was going to feel regret and all those feelings. And then it was a cycle. It would not stop. I had to stop it then. I had to stop it then. You know, it didn't matter that there were um, plays and graduations and concerts and everything that comes along with four kids at the end of a school year. I had to do this or all of that other stuff wouldn't happen. And I had to trust that it would be taken care of. I had to. I mean, I knew... I, you know, I knew it's not like my kids were home alone and 
you know, didn't like have someone watching them. Like I knew my husband was there and my parents and um, my husband's parents. Like I had to just trust that my kids would be okay without me because they had never been without me ever. They've been without my husband. They've been without other family, but I was there. It was me all the time. So for me to leave them like that, like it really had to be my rock bottom. Like yeah. that was my only option. Interesting. And it was the best decision I ever made. Interestingly enough, the military wife actually went on deployment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Part of part of me was like, this will be good for everyone, you know, they'll get to see what I've been doing. And then I remember my dad came to visit me. He was the, my first visitor, my mom and dad. Um, it was like my second week. I did a 30-day treatment. And I didn't know what they were going to say. I kind of thought they'd be worried and scared. But my dad looks me straight in the eyes and he goes, good for you. Now you get yourself some real sleep. Yeah. Because you, you work, you do whatever you have to do and you sleep. And he like just emphasized like me taking a rest. Because, you know, I don't know why I was trying to hide it for so long. I mean, they're my parents. Like, they obviously know I need a break. They obviously, you know, they had to have known. They had right. to have. And they had and they had to have known why. So I mean, you, the, yeah. So so real, real quick, I'm mm-hmm. curious. Because in the eye of the storm, all this is happening. But the reason why you went back to work in the first place is because it was financial strain on the family. Yeah. So now you go into rehab and you've got to stop working. Right. Actually, um, my husband had made me quit that job. Okay. By then, he did find employment. Okay. So your, your husband found a job. Yes. But I, I fought that, too. I did not want to quit. I knew I had to. I knew I was drinking myself into the ground. But for me, again, that whole pride thing, like, I'm not going to tell my boss that you made me quit. Like, mm. I know this is good for me, but no, you can't make me quit a job. And good thing I did. <laughs> he was right. Right. So that, so now I want to know, you you touched on it, but elaborate a little bit about what happened between you and your husband? What happened with your family? You know, what was that process like the first year, this first year of taking care of the kids? Who's taking care of the kids? How are you handling your recovery? How are you guys handling the money situation? Like, this is, this is, what, this is where the rubber meets the road for most people in recovery. It's mm. one thing to have the rock bottom. It's like, now what do we do? You want to know before or after? After. Okay. Well, after we kind of, I don't want to say reverted back to how we used to be because we're better now than we've ever been, Mm -hmm. but in the sense of like, we can do this and we can do this together Mm -hmm. in the sense of what adventure is next. It's more like that positive thinking, like something that I do myself. So I'm in school right now to be um, a certified addictions counselor, and I am hoping to actually work at the rehab that saved my life. I'm in that process right now. I know, right? Excellent. But after everything I've learned, um, I actually do like a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy and rational motive behavioral therapy, like on myself. And it's a constant 
um, like being mindful of where my head is at. Mm -hmm. So afterward, like for example, I'm driving down a road that I had to drive to, to get to school every day. And it reminds me of a time that I was, you know, drinking and driving at, you know, all hours of the night. And then I start to feel it in my gut, that regret, that guilt. So my thought about that road is, you know, guilt and regret and shame. Once I realize that I can attach a new emotion to it, a positive one, one of relief, one of, well, thank God I'm not there anymore. Suddenly the road becomes beautiful. You know, we're still working our way out of those money and financial issues, but we're working our way out. It's not, well, this isn't how it's supposed to be and this sucks. Changed my thought. Yes, this sucks, but we're on the road to success now. There is still hope and the feelings attached to that are completely different. That negative feeling it could still come. It still comes. It comes every day. You know, my thoughts can be negative, but the difference is that I'm aware of it. And the wonderful thing about the brain and its neuroplasticity is that it can change if you train it. And the first steps of being able to know what to train or what to change is being mindful in your feelings and your thinking. Whereas in the past, I would just run with it for days, weeks, years, even that same, you know, negative thought pattern. But now it's, it's more one of positivity, you know, like the, like the birds. I used to hate the sound of the birds because that meant shame and guilt. And, you know, now instead of, you know, that automatic reaction of like, oh no, it's the birds. I love the sound of birds. I love that road I drive to school on. It's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. And it's so nice to not have that negative feeling attached to it now. Anyone who's done cocaine hates the birds. Oh, yeah. Anybody. Anyone. Anyone who's done cocaine knows what the birds represent. Right? But I love that. I hadn't hadn't kind of dialed into the all, you know, like I hear the birds even after the fact while I'm right right in the middle of it, it. It's guilt and shame. Like I'm, I'm thinking about all the times that I remember hearing the birds in the, and, and then rec- realizing that I'd lost track of time again. Like last time I looked at my clock, it was 2 o'clock in the morning. Now the birds are chirping. What happened? Where, I, I and lost I four moved. hours. Yeah, I haven't moved. I lost four hours. What happened, right? And it's, uh, Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Oh, but no. birds are beautiful. Like they can literally fly. They can literally fly and sing, and I hated them. Like how that just—it's a picture of like how low I was. Okay, so this is an example of, you know, you have you have your cognitive cognitive behavioral therapy. You also have coaching, so it's the same concept, different terminology. So there is this idea of creating a new story. All you did is just created a new story. The birds, the the story, the first story is. The birds are chirping, guilt and shame. Oh, my God. I hate the sound of the birds. For what reason do I hate the sound of the birds? Because it reminds me of when I woke up in the morning at 6 o'clock in the morning. Oh, my God. Okay, so what is it that you were feeling at that moment? Oh, guilt and shame. Oh, so what you're really attached to here is the feeling of guilt and shame. Do you really need to feel that guilt and shame anymore? No. You know? So what do the birds represent now? Right. And so now it's like it's a new day. Right. So this is all creating a new story, reframing 
the story, right? Reframing the dialogue, reframing, reframing the, the internal dialogue, right? Now, for people that are listening right now, okay, Jessica is 30, 32 years old. So what there is, there is a key element, a, a key element to be able to truly embrace this mindset, because it, it's all it is. It's a mindset. So I have a negative mindset or I have a positive mindset, okay? And it's my choice. But for many people that are stuck and even explaining to them this process, there's a resistance. That resistance is an inability to let go. Were you able to recognize what you let go of in the process? Ooh, all I'm thinking of is your mic drop thing. Mm. Um, <laughs> let's plug that real quick. <laughs> Thank you for plugging the mic drop event. <laughs> the healing power of letting go. <laughs> yeah. On YouTube. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, so this is what I've been struggling with, whether or not I should bring it up. Um, but I think it's such a huge part of my story that I have to. So other than the military lifestyle and finances and all that stuff, let's throw infidelity into the mix on my husband's end. And instead of calling it infidelity, let's call it addiction. Now, this is what I had to let go. Again, hindsight. This happened years. I mean, strip clubs, pornography, all that, like, calling people, no relationships, but something that any girl listening or even any guy listening right now would just like, you lose your heart, you lose your sense of connection, just everything's gone. It's like the, the one thing you're not supposed to do in a relationship. And I experienced it over and over. Now, this was something I was trying to work through with drugs and alcohol because I felt very, very stuck. Now, if I had believed that the love wasn't there anymore, I would have been gone a long time ago. But I really struggled with like, I know we love each other. Like, that's not a question. Did I make the biggest mistake in my life? Or is there something else going on here right now? I wish I knew then that it was his own addiction. Because I was yelling at him like he was yelling at me. Why don't you just stop? Don't you love me? You know, why don't you come home? Like everything that you would yell to someone on heroin or, you know, that's, you know, your family member. Why don't you just stop? Like I was doing that because I was treating it as an attack on me and not on something that he was struggling with because he would answer, I don't know. Yes, I love you. I don't like, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. Like your classic addict, like textbook, you know? So I, I didn't know how to get over that. Mm. I had no idea. And this is something that I would talk about in a little drug circle and I would get mixed reactions. Most, I think the biggest stance people would take is you deserve better than that. You need to leave him. But I couldn't because I love him and I know he loves me. But if I said that, people look at me as weak or stupid or, you know, and then that forced me to look at like I spent so many nights and days just mulling over this in my head. Like, 
well, am I only staying for the kids? Am I only staying because I'm afraid I can't make it on my own? Am I only staying because like I went over every angle. I looked at this over and over every which way. I tried changing myself, my looks, how I came at him. I tried being nice to him. I tried being mean to him. I mean, anything you can think of, I tried to get him to stop. Now, he has since worked through this um, in his own recovery process, which I think it'd be best if he explained it. Like, I don't want to put words in his mouth. Absolutely. But it is something that that he's worked through and we're again, better than ever now. But that was what I had to let go because even through my act of addiction, I, every time, you know, he'd get mad at me for like, Oh, well, you know, you came home late or you need to stop. I would always throw it back Mm. in his face. Well, at least I didn't cheat on you. And then it somehow it made me better than him and gave him no leverage. You know what I mean? So it was constantly just throwing it back at him. Me going out, I thought I deserved it. You know, well, I've been, I've been the, you know, caretaker for so long that I deserve this. I deserve a lot of things, but going out and ruining my heart and my mind and my body and soul is certainly not one of them. <clears throat> but and I think, I think this is a problem for a lot of people in the military too. I mean, the divorce rate is huge. The separation is huge. I know, you know, infidelity it's pretty high on the list. So, you know, if the love isn't there, of course, like you may need to go a different route. But for me and my husband and our relationship, it was a straight up addiction, just like mine, just like many others who can say one hurts the other, you know, more than the other person. Like who says my addiction didn't hurt him just as much, but I didn't view them the same. Now that I do, And now that I've put a label on that and not something that is him, I detach that addiction from my husband and I detach my addiction from me. And now all that's left is us. And once I put a label on it, that's when I can let go. And that's when I can start changing my mindset because that was blocking me. Dude. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Wow. I struggled with that, Omar. I was like, do I bring this up? Wow. Bring this up. Because I, you know, I didn't want my, okay, just to be honest, I didn't want people to look down on my husband. That's the biggest reason I didn't want to bring it up. And because I've heard all those things like, are you stupid? Leave him, girl. You don't need that man. You know what I mean? Like that whole mindset. And to be in a situation where if I left him, no one would blame me. You know, but the same now can be said for him. If he had left me, no one would blame him. And since our love was still there, like I couldn't give that up and neither could he. And I think we've proven our point through wow. both of our struggles. 13 years in December. Wow. Just an incredible mic drop moment. Oh, for real? I wish Dude. I had a mic. <laughs> My God. You know, it's like I'm listening to this story. Hold on. It's like I'm listening to this story. <laughs> I all spit my water out. I got, I got, no, I got an extra one. I got an extra one for that. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for that. That is, I mean, talk about being incredibly vulnerable and honest and open because this is the kind of stuff that 
changes people's lives. Uh, obviously not just yours, um, but there's this idea of what happens if people find out. What will other people think? It's this constant need for validation and approval from others. Well, and- it's one thing to tell my my you know dark side, but to bring someone else into it, like that's what I was struggling with. But it is such a huge part of my story. Like, not a, I'm not using it as an excuse, but it's one of the main reasons I use drugs and alcohol. Was it right? No. But was it a driving force? 100% absolutely. No, and it's true. I mean, what came to you was, was after watching my, the mic drop moment was, what am I holding on to? I'm mm-hmm. holding on to all the anger, bitterness, resentment. I'm holding on to this need for, just, for justice, this need for, for revenge or for some sort of uh, retribution of some kind. All like, of those things. All, all of, of those them. things. Like, how, I, how can I make you pay? How can I make you pay enough so that I can let go of this? When, what will it take? What will it take? What will it cost you for me to feel better about this relationship, about moving forward, about healing, about all of this? Like if I could, if I could just make you feel how I feel, right. Right. then you will stop. I felt like that was my last option because I had tried everything else. Guess what? It didn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. It will never. Justice will never heal you. No, absolutely no. not. Letting but go. Love, does. Letting go does. Love does. Yes. Love, love does. This is what you you're describing. That's what you you're describing. Hold on to it. Right. That's all you said. You said, I know my husband loves me. I know my husband loves me. And I, if I detach, if I detach the behavior, I am not the behavior. I am a human being, and in my humanness, we make mistakes. We all do. We all have. So if I detach the behavior from, from me and from my husband, then it's just us. Then it's the essence of who we are. And if at his essence, at his core, is someone who is weak and sick and you know horrible and, and twisted, then... Even after removing the behavior, I still have something that I can't connect with. But mm-hmm. removing that and recognizing that he still loves me. He still loves these kids. He still wants to, to, to make this thing work. Then as soon as I separate myself from that, the essence is there. The essence is what's going to keep you together. It's unconditional love. Unconditional love is that for 100%. a reason. 100%. And that's what we all want. We that's all want. we all want. And I justified it too. Like, if I was the one doing it to him, wouldn't I want, how would I want him to treat me? And it turned out to be that way because I turned out to be the one with the addict after the fact. You know, I, then I had a problem. If you guys are listening to Jessica right now, she reframes everything. As she's talking, it's a constant reframe into the positive. To constant. constantly. It's, it's constant. There is no... Bonus. Yeah, right. So the emotional state has shifted and changed based on mindset. As it comes, as information comes in, right, it's either positive or I reframe into the positive. And that has, there has to be a letting go process in there. There has to be a letting go, because if you're holding on 
to any sort of anger, bitterness, resentment, justice, injustice, retribution, right? Like, you know, I've been wronged because I, this is, this is one of the biggest, as a coach, this is the thing that I, that is one of the toughest things to get people to let go of. They see it. I will, we can, we can put all the puzzled pieces on the table. Everything is clear. We've identified it. What's it going to take for you to let go, right? As soon as they Huge. pay back, as soon as, as soon as soon as they make it right, soon as then they, you'll uh, see, right? then you'll know. <laughs> Guess what we go back to? We go back to this. We go back to what I wrote in the beginning, which I don't know where I wrote it now, but it was B. Uh, oh my God! Hold on. I am sacrificing the happiness of today for the joy, for the promise. For the promise of a, of a happy, yeah, promise of joy in the future, something like that. But I'm, yeah. I, I'm literally when I am when I'm holding on to something that I have no control over. I have a because here's the thing: I have a control over letting go, and I have a control of holding on. That's my control. What the other mm-hmm. person does, I have no control over. No, I'm at no. what you can't control no. other people. Like what? What do you mean? <laughs> but once that happens, so I'm curious. Because I think you're going to make a magnificent addiction counselor. Oh, uh, thank you. What have you been told before from people as far as... Okay, let me reframe that. Do you get people coming to you and just dumping all their stuff on you? Oh, since I was little. <laughs> <laughs> For real. I know. That's why I'm asking. That's what I'm saying. I believe in the energies, mm-hmm. you know, people, people talk without words. Um, yeah, since I was little and I didn't have a problem with it, you know? No, of course not. Why it, do it's you a ask? Gift. It, Cause it's a, it's a gift. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's, it's, it's a gift. Um, so it's the gift of, of intuition and it's the gift of encouragement. Um, it's it's a gift of being able to to listen to really to to when people are talking your your brain immediately starts processing information you feel it you feel it right and so they'll you'll be talk they'll be talk and they don't even know why all of a sudden you just met somebody and they just you start talking and the next thing you know they're dumping everything they got on you they're struggling with a recent passing or, you know, someone did something to them and they don't know how to feel like that's, it's funny you say that. Cause that's like one of like my mantras for when I do become a counselor is to make sure people feel understood mm. because that is what changed my mindset. When I went into rehab for the first time, like, I mean, you can be around family that loves you and wants to understand and wants to be a support, but to really be understood at a core level, like there's a huge relief and hope that comes with that. And I just hope I can be that for somebody. You are. Oh, thanks. Well, so are you. You really are. I know. (laughs) Thanks. I know, but here's the thing. That's how, that's how I see it in you. Because I have this thing, as I'm talking to you, I go, this girl's got it. Did we just become best friends? We just became BFFs. 
Right? So there, you have that gift, whether you recognize it. And I know you recognize it for the most part. But there is just this. I remember for the, I remember when I used to tell my wife, I go, I don't even know if life coach is really how I want to identify. Like, I feel like I'm an intuitive healer. She goes, Ooh. right? She goes, don't you dare write wow. that on your business cards. Because you're going to sound like some kind of woo-woo guru nutbag. Only if you wear a weird hat or something. But you see, somebody (laughs) like you gets it. Yeah. You get it. I'll go visit you, if anything, just to see what it's all about. And then they'll stay for the actual, you know, substance. (laughs) Draw them in with the weird name and then they'll stay. (laughs) Well, the, the, the point being is that we all have gifts. Every single one of us have, has different gifts. God-given. Um, God-given. God-given. And your ability to see that in others is what's going to allow you to do really whatever you want in this, in this realm, whether it's as, as a coach or as a therapist or as a counselor, as anything that involves working with other people and helping them get through whatever it is that they're going through is something that is, like, if you ever question whether or not you'll be able to help somebody, don't. The answers just come. I don't know how to explain Well, I was it. doing it as a bartender. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it doesn't matter. Not a good setting, but, I mean. It is what it is, you know. Jesus uh, went to bars and spoke with, you know. I don't have that kind of strength because I would be the one drinking, too. But, you know. Yeah, no, and and also not only that, going into a bar and trying to connect with people that are on another level. No, it's completely no, different. It does. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. What does work? What does work is connecting with anyone who's sober, okay, and is 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 express as experience some sort of an emotional challenge, being stuck, um, being uncomfortable, being negative, right? It's this. It's this idea of being able to to bring some a positive outlook into their lives. You know. Mm. So anyway, you've got that without going any further. You've just you've got you've got the gift. You've got the gift. All right. So let's start diving into some coaching questions while we're at it. Um so first of all, um as a coach, and you'd mentioned something like this before, right? As as a coach, I hear people say, I can't do this because or once I achieve this, I'll be happy, right? So what is the story that you used to tell yourself, your biggest limiting beliefs, and what is the story you, you tell yourself now? I think my biggest limiting belief was that I deserved this, whether it be I deserved even a break from the kids. Mm. I deserved... The plan that we had, I deserve this drink. I deserve to stay out because of A, B, C, and D and all the things I've been through. Mm -hmm. I deserve a lot of things, but those things are not one of them. I deserve peace of mind Mm. wherever I'm at. I don't deserve to be in the tunnel's darkness running tirelessly towards the light. I, I just I deserve different things now. I don't deserve things that distract me. I deserve things that build me up. Well, I think that 
this is another this is another thing that for many people f- that have gone through what we've gone through is this inability to feel deserving of anything. Mm. So the idea that I can feel deserving about something, whether it's good or bad, is a wonderful ability to have. You know, just the just the ability to feel deserving of X, because X can be anything. And if I shift, if I shift my focus, I can use that same energy right on another direction. I deserve to be sober. I deserve to be in a loving family. It's also more of like an I owe it to me. I owe it to my myself to do this for me because there's no other way. It's just going to hurt if I don't take care of myself. It's going to hurt if I don't take care of my mindset. It's going to hurt everybody around me. So not only do I deserve it, I owe it. I owe it to myself. Well, it, and, and I guess if we look at it in the positive and the negatives here, this is how I would reframe it. Just to create separation between the two. Because I believe that everyone was born the same. With the same opportunities, with the same chemical makeup, right? With the same challenges. We can't eat on our own. We can't walk on our own. We can't change our own clothes. We can't bathe on our own. We can't do anything on our own. So we're all faced with the same challenges in the beginnings. And for the most part, we're all given the same attention and love as babies. It isn't until we start actually having um, conversations where we can actually understand language that things start to change, where we start to feel a certain way, whether it's deserving or undeserving, worthy, unworthy, loved, unloved. Agreements. And so agreements? Yeah, from the four agreements. Like you're, you see something and you make an agreement with yourself to view it that way. Okay, all right. So the way I would see the the, the negative side of the deserving, like I deserve to do this because my husband did it, or I deserve to do this because it's my turn to take a break. It feels more like entitlement. Mm, yes. Feels more like entitlement where, where it's like deserving and entitlement. If we look at the different meanings, right, it's almost as, as if I'm looking at these other things again as my way of paying myself back because that feels like I owe it to myself like I'm entitled to this and then as we shift that focus into a positive and all these things start to come into my life these beautiful things like my family comes back together right I start to find sobriety My, my focus starts to change and I can actually feel deserving of all the goodness that's coming in instead of where there's this constant need to punish myself because Mm. it's never going to be enough. Like, even if I'm sober for a year, even if I go to school and I get my degree, even if I get a job doing this, right, it's still not enough. I could still do better. I still have to pay something back. I'm still not deserving because of all the things that I've done in the past. Or the negative, I'm deserving at the expense of others. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's super negative. Right. Like, well, I don't care. I deserve this. mm -hmm, Like, mm -hmm. no. So, I mean, that was, that mindset alone was probably the biggest limiting belief. It was putting me above everybody else. There we go. 
I love it. I love it. All right. So here's another one of my favorites. And it's, there's this moment. And it's, it's my Tony Robbins reference. And it's this, this line in the sand that I draw. So he talks about, if you want to take the island, you have to burn the boats. And what that means is that there's no going back. We either win or die. And there's this moment that in many of us, we have this moment in our lives where we say, not one more day, not one more hour, not one more minute. I am not tolerating this in my life any longer. When was that moment for you? So other than the spontaneous drive to rehab, (laughs) um, there was a moment in, in treatment where I had just gotten off the phone with my husband and there they call the phone, the death box, Mm -hmm. because usually people come off of it and they're crying. And that's because you're kind of living in that recovery bubble and everyone else that you're trying to explain it to doesn't really get it. So I called my husband and I ended up in tears. I couldn't even tell you what it was about, but I was crying. And one of the client services staff comes over to me and he's like, well, what's going on? And I explained it to him. I don't remember what I said, but I will, I will never forget what he told me. He says, you are more than a wife and a mother. And if he meeting my husband can't see that, then he needs to get out of your way. Now I, I took that as not just my husband and it has nothing to do with divorce or he needs to go away. I took that as Nothing can stand in the way of me living my full potential. I am not a a wife and a mother and an addict. I am me. And if I need to get out of my own way, then that needs to happen too. So I'll, I'll never forget it. I don't even know if he meant to, to say it to me like that, or if he even knows that I took it in that context, but I took it as whatever is in the way of you reaching your full potential and happiness and whatever it is you need to do in your life needs to get out of the way and that you are more than A, B, and C. You are you. And that is enough. This is incredible. (laughs) I can't believe you have a year in sobriety. Like this, this is incredible. This is, this is, I, I, you know, I feel like I'm like this is what I feel like as I'm coaching people because it's all mindset. Everything is language, focus, mindset. All of it. Good and evil. It is the constant everyday battle all day long from when you wake up to when you go to bed. Tale, like, tales old as time, good and evil. Who is going to win today? Who is going to prevail? And it's all in here. It's all out there. You can't see it, but... If I believe good will always win and it is on your side, evil is not on your side yeah. and you can put that into every aspect of your life. But I think it boils down to the battle between good and evil. Pick a side. Which wolf are you feeding? Yes. That's what it boils down to. 100%. Wow. Incredible. Okay. So Jessica, tell us about an aha moment in your life when you realize you were now moving in the right direction. Um, you know, there's been a lot of little things, 
One was when I started feeling physically better. One of the early ones was when I walked outside in treatment and there was a volleyball game going on. And I had always been an active person. Like I just loved just being active in general, like being, being strong, feeling strong. And I walked out there and I started playing volleyball. And for the first time in a long time, I had fun. I laughed. Everyone was sober. There was no other, there was no drug and alcohol focus. Mm -hmm. The focus was on the volleyball game. And it hit me as like what I'd been missing, like real fun. Mm. And I say this too, because recovery isn't all doom and gloom. Like we take away this, like, oh no, like this is terrible. Real fun. I remembered how to have real fun, just genuine laughs. And this was like, I'm going to be all right. Like I can still have fun. This is good. This is really good news. <laughs> and I kind of just carried that into okay, well, what have I been saying I'm going to do and not doing? I want to go back to school. I finally, my kids are all in school now. My youngest is in kindergarten. I don't have to be the full-time stay-at-home mom anymore. I want to go back to school, but what do I do? Started listening to God again. Started listening to those thoughts in my head as not just scrambled messages that I have to decipher. And I followed my intuition and my heart and my instinct and went to school. Well, what do I sign up for? Oh, look, it just so happens that there's one of the only um, drug and alcohol recovery counseling programs within this mile radius. And it's only a half an hour from me. So wow. I really I dove in quick. I dove in super hard. And um, I got to meet some super inspiring people because, you know, like in the coaching industry, too, I'm sure. And, you know, in the recovery community, most people as counselors are in recovery themselves. And that's not like any other profession. Like we've lived it, breathed it, and now we're on the other side. So I've gotten to meet some amazing people. And the head of the um, drug and alcohol recovery program, it's called the DARC program, D-A-R-C, at Naugatuck Valley Community College um, in Connecticut. Um, the head of the program, Sandra Valenti, has been like one of the amazing people I've met in recovery. She has her PhD in psychology. Um, she runs the program. She's on the Connecticut board uh, certification board. She does like Narcan trainings. Like she has her hand in anywhere she can and she does it all with ease. Um, she's one of those people that has come so far from nothing and she's actually building a home in Costa Rica, which I introduced her to the podcast. And I said, you got to check this guy out. I said, he's in Costa Rica. And she's like, oh, check out the house I'm building in Costa Rica. I'm like, well, what, what are you doing that for? Um, she's trying to start a, um, a place for people to go and live. It's like a recovery retreat. Um, she's in the process of building it. She's going to have horses. I hear horses are like big in recovery now. Um, it's, I want to say it's in Samara, Guana. Samara. Samara. Samara, Guanacaste. Uh-huh, that's it. Something like that. So um, I know as soon as she gets that up and running, she said she was going to try to contact you as well. Um, What's her name? Valenti. One more time. D-R-A, Valenti, V-A-L, 
E-N-T-E. First name? Sandra. S-A-N-D-R-A. Sandra. She is just so passionate about recovery, and she wants to create like an unplugged, safe living space for people to come who are in recovery, just like a sober place to live. Just like a retreat where people can, and I hear the um, recovery community in Costa Rica is growing. Is it not? Absolutely. Absolutely. I wanted to do one of these things. I wanted to, I wanted to set one of these like sober living places here in Costa Rica where it was specifically for that, not so much a rehab, but it was a, a, a like a retreat for people who were in sobriety. Yeah, it's not a rehab at all. Right. right. From it's what just, I understand. Yeah. So. I definitely. So, yeah, yeah, I you definitely. should hook up with her because I know she doesn't know too many people out there, but this has just been one of her dreams. And, you know, to add another thing to her list of things she's doing, she's go um, getting her, what is it, like a veterinary license okay. or something. And whatever monkeys you guys have out there in Costa Rica. Lots. Like she knows how to like track them by color and she wants to like like incorporate that along with other different things like horses and just natural beauty of Costa Rica into this place that this like sober retreat. All so right. I don't know, that's her dream. But I get to meet amazing people like this, you know, in recovery. And she's someone I look up to, someone I aspire to be. It's pretty I mean, Oh, there's all of your guests. Like, it's incredible. There's so much love everywhere, and I can see it. That's, and once you kind of catch on to that, once you catch on to being on this side and you recognize that it's really, it's, it's all love. All That's of it. it. All of it is love. And, and look, we're all human. The humanness at times takes over. And we sometimes forget what's the intention Right? The intention is always to create loving space for growth and change. And, you know, our humanness sometimes gets in the middle of it all, you know, and, and it gets kind of convoluted, right? Because there's always, there's always in every, in every beautiful um, cause or movement, the humanness factor comes in, the ego comes in, control comes in, and sometimes... You get lost. You get lost in it. But the, the, the truth of it is, is that if you can set aside the humanness and recognize that on this side, the intention is just love and connection. That's, that's what this is all about. This is about love and connection. And if you can grab on to that, that's what's going to guide you along. It's connecting with the right people, allowing them to love you as you learn to love yourself. And sharing that love. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. So, God. Jessica, uh, right? Right? It's, the, it's, the so love, nice. it's the love shack. So, um, do you have any favorite books you recommend to our listeners? I do. So, I'm actually going to recommend some fiction books, and here's why. I don't think I've heard a fiction book um, recommended on your show, but um, I mean, we're all looking for an escape, right? Mm -hmm. I think a fiction book is a nice, healthy way to kind of get out of your own head. Um, The first would be anything by Brandon Mull. He writes, I think it's like a young adult. He has a bunch of series, but he's a young adult writer and it's mainly like different worlds and creatures and magic. So if you're into that kind of thing, Pick any one of his series and 
he'll take you away to a different world. I would love to see any of them made into like a family friendly Lord of the Rings style movie. Um, the second book is more on addiction. It's called The Line by Keith Farrell. And what it it's a crime fiction. And what it does is it it really looks into like small town addiction and it plays on all the different types of characters you see in addiction. So there's, you know, the strung out mother, the daughter who's trying to get out of that way of life and start her own way. The guy that just sells a little bit of pot, the gang bangers that are into murder and all those terrible street things. And then there's the cop who um, has an alcohol problem. So you really get all these perspectives and it kind of touches on at the core of it, they all have a problem with drugs and alcohol, but it's what they choose to do with it. Are they trying to turn it around? Are they taking it to the evil side? Do they not see a problem with it? All the while, it's this awesome like crime fiction. So it's, I love you know, it. It, kind of, it sounds like a, sounds like a mini series or like one of those. It you should know. be. It should be. Yeah, the line by Keith Farrell. Love it. Love it. Okay. It's not an audiobook, Omar. So you're going to have to read. <laughs> All righty. All right, so what are your three most powerful I am statements? I am loved, I am saved, and I am forgiven. Wow. I love it. I love it. Beautiful. And what is your personal success formula or blueprint for success? Oh, my gosh. Be mindful all the time. All the time. If you live in the future... You're going to have anxiety. If you live in the past, you're going to be depressed. Recognize when you're losing the moment. Always, always be. If you're going to be on your toes about anything, recognize when you're not thinking about the here and now and breathe. Breathe, breathe, breathe. Be present and breathe. I love 100%. it. 100%. That'll always bring me right back in where I go from there. Whatever, but I got to start there. I'm having a tough time thinking about how to title this episode. There's so many different <laughs> ways I could go with this. How would you, how would you name this episode? Hmm. Well, you got the title of my little thing I wrote, Breaking Expectations. Ooh. You got military spouse. Mm-hmm. Military what? Military, military, military spouse. spouse. You got Love Shack. <laughs> you got Mic Drop. There's a bunch of stuff. I don't know. Okay. All right. I'll I'll work with some of this. I want to throw something recovery related in there. Okay. Or, all right. Well, anyway, if it comes to you, this is just such good stuff. I want to give it, you know, the right the right. Uh, the right title. All right. So what is the best advice you have ever received? Hmm. Honestly, it was when, when someone told me that I was in the right place, that I, that I made the right decision. Like just being understood for someone to tell me you're, you're doing what you need to do. Changed my entire outlook, changed my confidence kept me on the path, kept me in that mindset. Like just for someone to be like, you're doing okay. Good job. Yeah, you made a good decision. Like that was more powerful than I think they realized. 
Love it. All right. What is one piece of wisdom you would like to share with our listeners? Some wisdom. So can this be for like someone who's struggling with the concept of God? Can Can I go there? You can go anywhere you want. What's your one parting piece of wisdom? Okay, I'm going there. So for those of you who are struggling with the concept of God, instead of trying to think who God is, think about who God is not. And he is not hate. He is not negative feelings. He is not fear. You know, so you can start there. And for me, the best way I can describe my relationship with God is it's like the ultimate parent-child relationship, the ultimate one where the parent says, no, you can't have a cookie because the parent knows either you're allergic to cookies or it's going to ruin your dinner. But the child has no clue why all the child wants is the cookie. That's all they're thinking about. And they think the parent is evil, but the parent is doing it out of love and the parent knows you know, it's good for you. Like, oh, I want to go play in the street. No, because it's not good for you. You're going to die. But I want to play on the street or I want to go to my friend's house. No, because your friend's parents aren't such great parents. But I want to go. I hate you. Anyway, that's like that's the only way I can describe my relationship with God, where if I'm angry and it doesn't seem to be going my way and getting out of the military wasn't what I thought it was going to be or what I thought I needed. God knows what I need. And now I am here today talking with you, even though all those things didn't work out. So maybe he did have a plan. Maybe I was trying to play in the street. (laughs) Maybe I didn't need that cookie because I would have got sick. That's my wisdom. Follow, follow. There, There is so much wisdom in this episode, folks. It's incredible. It's gone Far beyond what I ever expected uh, to get from Jessica. So many good uh, value bombs and pearls of wisdom throughout this episode. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you so much, Jessica, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm still starstruck. (laughs) (laughs) You don't seem to be. You're doing good things, and congrats on your 16 years, and keep fighting the good fight. You're awesome. All right. Well, guess what? You keep fighting the good fight, too. You're absolutely awesome. You've just celebrated one year, but you are so far ahead than what you even realize. Know that whatever it is that God is guiding you towards, just let it happen. Just let it happen, because you are on the path. Thank you, all. I believe it. I see it. I see it. All right, folks, we've now reached the end of our show. Thanks for joining us. And as we say here in Costa Rica, Pura Vida. Pura Vida. You know when they've been listening. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for joining us today on the Recovery Revolution Podcast. For more information about the podcast, to access the show notes, join us in the recovery revolution or to learn about one-on-one coaching with me then go to www.omarpinto.com make sure to check out the website or schedule a free consultation with me today it's time to join the recovery revolution